Section 30 of The Arabian Nights Entertainments, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jonathan Feldman. The Arabian Nights Entertainments, Volume 1, by Anonymous, translated by Dr. Jonathan Scott, Section 30. At last they came to the gates of the vizier, who little thought his nephew was so near. The doorkeepers, to prevent any disorder, kept back all the slaves that carried torches, and would not admit them. Budir ad was likewise refused, but the musicians, who had free entrance, stood still, and protested they would not go in if they hindered him from accompanying them. "'He is not one of the slaves,' said they. "'Look upon him, and you will soon be satisfied.' He is certainly a young stranger, who is curious to see the ceremonies observed at marriages in this city. And saying thus, they put him in the midst of them, and carried him with them in spite of the porters. They took his torch out of his hand, gave it to the first they met, and having brought him into the hall, placed him at the right hand of the hump-backed bridegroom, who sat near the vizier's daughter on a throne most richly adorned. She appeared very lovely but in her face there was nothing to be seen but vexation and grief. The cause of this was easily to be guessed, when she had by her side a bridegroom so very deformed, and so unworthy of her love. The nuptial seat was in the midst of an estrade, the ladies of the emirs, viziers, those of the sultan's bedchamber, and several other ladies of the court and city, were placed on each side, a little lower, every one according to her rank, and richly dressed, holding a large wax taper in her hands. When they saw Budir ad-Din Hussan, they all fixed their eyes upon him, and admiring his shape, his behaviour, and the beauty of his face, they could not forbear looking upon him. When he was seated, every one deft their seats, came near to him to have a full view of his face, and all found themselves moved with love and admiration. The disparity between Budir ad-Din Hussan and the hump-backed groom, who made such a contemptible figure, occasioned great murmuring among the company, insomuch that the ladies cried out, "'We must give our bride to this handsome young gentleman, and not to this ugly hump-back.' Nor did they rest here, but uttered imprecations against the sultan, who, abusing his absolute power, would unite ugliness and beauty together." They also mocked the bridegroom, so as to put him out of countenance, to the great satisfaction of the spectators, whose shouts for some time put a stop to the concert of music in the hall. At last the musicians began again, and the women who had dressed the bride surrounded her. Each time that the bride retired to change her dress, she, on her return, passed by Humpback without giving him one look, and went towards Budir ad-Din, before whom she presented herself in her new attire. On this occasion, Budir ad-Din, according to the instructions given him by the genie, failed not to put his hands in his purse, and pulled out handfuls of sequins which he distributed among the women that followed the bride. Nor did he forget the players and dancers, but also threw money to them. It was pleasant to see how they pushed one another to gather it up. They shewed themselves thankful for his liberality. When the ceremony of changing habits was passed, the music ceased, and the company retired. The bride repaired to the nuptial chamber, whither her attendants followed to undress her, and none remained in the hall but the humpback groom, Budir ad-Din, and some of the domestics. 
Humpback, who was enraged at Buddir ad suspecting him to be his rival, gave him a cross look, and said, And thou? What dost thou wait for? Why art thou not gone as well as the rest? Depart. Buddir ad having no pretense to stay, withdrew, not knowing what to do with himself. But before he got out of the vestibule, the genie and the parry met him and stopped him. Whither are you going? said the parry. Stay, humpback is not in the hall. Return, and introduce yourself into the bride's chamber. As soon as you are alone with her, tell her boldly that you are her husband, that the sultan's intention was only to make sport with the groom. In the meantime, we will take care that the humpback shall not return, and let nothing hinder your passing the night with your bride, for she is yours and not his. While the peri thus encouraged Pudir ad and instructed him how he should behave himself, Humpback had really gone out of the room for a moment. The genie went to him in the shape of a monstrous cat, mewing at a most fearful rate. Humpback called to the cat. He clapped his hands to drive her away, but instead of retreating, she stood upon her hinder feet, staring with eyes like fire, looking fiercely at him, mewing louder than she did at first, and increasing in size until she was large as an ass. At this sight, Humpback would have cried out for help, but his fear was so great that he stood gaping and could not utter one word. That he might have no time to recover, the genie changed himself immediately into a large buffalo, and in this stripe called to him with a voice that redoubled his fear. Thou, humpbacked villain! At these words the affrighted groom cast himself upon the ground, and covering his face with his vest, that he might not see this dreadful beast. Sovereign prince of buffaloes, said he, what is it you want of me? Woe be to thee, replied the genie. Hast thou the presumption to venture to marry my mistress? O oh, my lord, said Humpback, I pray you to pardon me. If I am guilty, it is through ignorance. I did not know that this lady had a buffalo to her sweetheart. Command me in anything you please. I give you my oath that I am ready to obey you. By death, replied the genie, if thou goest out from hence, or speakest a word till the sun rises, I will crush thy head to pieces. I warn thee to obey, for if thou hast the impudence to return, it shall cost thee thy life. When the genie had done speaking, he transformed himself into the shape of a man, took hump back by the legs, and after having set him against the wall with his head downwards, If thou stir, said he, before the sun rise, as I have told thee already, I will take thee by the heels again, and dash thy head in a thousand pieces against the wall. To return to Buddir ad Prompted by the genie, and the presence of the peri, he returned to the hall, from whence he slipped into the bride chamber, where he sat down, expecting the success of his adventure. After a while the bride arrived, conducted by an old matron, who came no farther than the door, without looking in to see whether it were humpback or another that was there, and then retired. The beautiful bride was agreeably surprised to find, instead of humpback, a handsome youth, who gracefully addressed her. "'What, my dear friend,' said she, "'by your being here at this time of night, you must be my husband's comrade.' "'No, madam,' said Buddir ad "'I am of another quality than that ugly humpback.' But, said she, you do not consider that you speak degradingly of my husband. He, your husband, replied he, 
Can you retain those thoughts so long? Be convinced of your mistake, for so much beauty must never be sacrificed to the most contemptible of mankind. It is I that am the happy mortal for whom it is reserved. The sultan had a mind to make himself merry by putting this trick upon the vizier your father, but he chose me to be your real husband. You might have observed how the ladies, the musicians, the dancers, your women, and all the servants of your family were pleased with this comedy. We have sent Hump back to his stable again. At this discourse, the vizier's daughter, who was more like one dead than alive when she came into the bride chamber, put on a gay air, which made her so handsome that Buddir ad Deen was charmed with her graces. I did not expect, said she, to meet with so pleasing a surprise, and I had condemned myself to live unhappy all my days. But my good fortune is so much the greater that I possess in you a man worthy of my tenderest affection. Buddir ad Deen, overjoyed to see himself possessor of so many charms, retired with his bride, and laid his vesture aside with the bag that he had from the Jew, which, notwithstanding all the money he had dispersed, was still full. Towards morning, while the two lovers were asleep, the genie, who had met again with the peri, said, It is time to finish off what we have so successfully carried on. Let us not be overtaken by daylight, which will soon appear. Go you, and bring off the young man again without awaking him. The peri went into the bedchamber, where the two lovers were fast asleep, took up Buddir ad Deen in his undervest and drawers, and in company with the genie, with wonderful swiftness, fled away with him to the gates of Damascus in Syria, where they arrived just at the time when the officers of the mosques, appointed for that end, were calling the people to prayers at break of day. The peri laid Buddir ad Deen softly on the ground, close by the gate, and departed with the genie. The gate of the city being opened, and many people assembled, they were surprised to see a youth lying in his shirt and drawers upon the ground. One said, He has been hard put to it to get away from his mistress, that he could not get time to put on his clothes. Look, said another, how people expose themselves. Sure enough, he has spent most part of the night in drinking with his friends, till he has got drunk, and then perhaps, having occasion to go out, instead of returning, is come this length, and not having his senses about him, was overtaken with sleep. Others were of another opinion, but nobody could guess what had been the real occasion of his coming thither. A small puff of wind happened to blow at this time, uncovered his breast, which was whiter than snow. Every one being struck with admiration at the fineness of his complexion, they spoke so loud that they awakened him. His surprise was as great as theirs when he found himself at the gate of a city where he had never been before, and encompassed by a crowd of people gazing at him. Inform me, said he, for God's sake, where I am, and what you would have. One of the crowd spoke to him, saying, Young man, the gates of the city were just now opened, and as we came out we found you lying here in this condition. Have you lain here all night? And do not you know that you are at one of the gates of Damascus? At one of the gates of Damascus? answered Buddir ad Deen. Surely you mock me. When I lay down to sleep last night I was at Cairo. When he had said this, some of the people, moved with compassion for him, exclaimed, It is a pity that such a handsome young man should have lost his senses, and so went away. My son, said an old man to him, 
you know not what you say. How is it possible that you, being this morning at Damascus, could be last night at Cairo? It is true, said Buddir ad Deen, and I swear to you that I was all day yesterday at Bassorah. He had no sooner said this than all the people fell into a fit of laughter and cried out, He's a fool! He's a madman! There were some, however, that pitied him because of his youth, and one among the company said to him, My son, you must certainly be crazed. You do not consider what you say. Is it possible that a man could be yesterday at Bassorah, at the same night at Cairo, and this morning at Damascus? Surely you are asleep still. Come, rouse up your spirits. What I say, answered Budir ad son, is so true that last night I was married in the city of Cairo. All those who laughed before could not forbear again at this declaration. Recollect yourself, said the same person who spoke before. You must have dreamt all this, and the fancy still possesses your brain. I am sensible of what I say, answered the young man. Pray, can you tell me how it was possible for me to go in a dream to Cairo, where I am very certain I was in person, where my bride was seven times brought before me, each time dressed in a different habit, and where I saw an ugly humpbacked fellow to whom they intended to give her? Besides, I want to know what is become of my vest, my turban, and the bag of sequins I had at Cairo. Though he assured them that all these things were matters of fact, yet they could not forbear to laugh at him, which put him in such confusion that he knew not what to think of all these adventures. After Budira ad-Din Hussan had confidently affirmed all that he said to be true, he rose up to go into the town, and everyone who followed him called out, A madman! A fool! Upon this, some looked out at their windows, some came to their doors, and others joined with those that were about him, calling out as they did, A madman! But not knowing for what. In this perplexity, the affrighted young man happened to come before a pastry cook's shop, and went into it to avoid the rabble. This pastry cook had formerly been captain to a troop of Arabian robbers, who plundered the caravans, and though he was become a citizen of Damascus, where he behaved himself to everyone's satisfaction, yet he was dreaded by all who knew him. Wherefore, as soon as he came out to the rabble who followed Budir ad-Din, they dispersed. The pastry cook asked him who he was, and what brought him thither. Budir ad-Din told him all, not concealing his birth, nor the death of his father the Grand Vizier. He afterwards gave him an account of why he had left Bassorah. How? After he had fallen asleep the night following, upon his father's tomb, he found himself when he awoke at Cairo, where he had married a lady, and at last, in what amazement he was, when he found himself at Damascus, without being able to penetrate into all those wonderful adventures. "'Your history is one of the most surprising,' said the pastry cook. "'But if you will follow my advice, you will let no man know these matters you have revealed to me, but patiently wait till heaven thinks fit to put an end to your misfortunes. You shall be welcome to stay with me till then, and as I have no children, I will own you for my son, if you consent. After you are so adopted, you may freely walk the city without being exposed any more to the insults of the rabble. Though this adoption was below the son of a grand vizier, Budir ad was glad to accept of the pastry cook's proposal, judging it the best thing he could do, considering his circumstances. The cook clothed him, called for witnesses, and went before a notary, where he acknowledged him for his son. After this, 
Buddir ad Deen lived with him under the name of Hosan, and learned the pastry trade. While this passed at Damascus, the daughter of Shumsa ad Deen awoke, and finding Buddir ad Deen had gone, supposed he had risen softly for fear of disturbing her, but would soon return. As she was in expectation of him, her father the vizier, who was vexed at the affront put upon him by the sultan, came and knocked at her chamber door to bewail her sad destiny. He called her by her name, and she knowing him by his voice, immediately got up and opened the door. She kissed his hand, and received him with so much pleasure in her countenance, that she surprised the vizier, who expected to find her drowned in tears, and as much aggrieved as himself. "'Unhappy wretch,' he said in a passion, "'do you appear before me thus, after the hideous sacrifice you have just consummated? Can you see me with so much satisfaction?' The new bride, seeing her father angry at her pleasant countenance, said to him, "'For God's sake, sir, do not reproach me wrongfully. It is not the humpback fellow whom I abhor more than death. It is not that monster I have married. Everybody laughed him to scorn, and put him so out of countenance that he was forced to run away and hide himself, to make room for a noble youth who is my real husband.' "'What fable do you tell me?' said Shumsa ad roughly. "'What?' Did not Crookback lie with you to-night? No, sir, said she. It was the youth I mentioned, who has large eyes and black eyebrows. At these words the vizier lost all his patience and exclaimed in anger, Ah, wicked woman, you will make me distracted. It is you, father, said she, that put me out of my senses by your incredulity. So it is not true, replied the vizier, that humpback, let us talk no more of humpback said she a curse upon humpback father i assure you once more that i did not bed with him but with my dear spouse whom i believe is not far off shumsa ad deen went out to seek him but instead of seeing buddir ad deen was surprised to find humpback with his head on the ground and his heels uppermost as the genie had set him against the wall what is the meaning of this said he who placed you thus Crookback, knowing it to be the vizier, answered, Alas, alas, it is you then that would marry me to the mistress of a genie in the form of a buffalo. Shumsa ad-Din Mabumud, when he heard Humpback speak thus, thought he was raving, bade him to move and stand upon his legs. I will take care how I stir, said Humpback, unless the sun be risen. No, sir, that when I came last night to your palace, suddenly a black cat appeared to me, and in an instant grew as big as a buffalo. I have not forgotten what he enjoined me, therefore you may depart and leave me here. The vizier, instead of going away, took him by the heels and made him stand up. When humpback ran off, without looking behind him, and coming to the palace presented himself to the sultan, who laughed heartily when he informed how the genie had served him. Shumsa ad Deen returned to his daughter's chamber, more astonished than before. "'My abused daughter,' said he, "'can you give me no farther light in this miraculous affair?' "'Sir,' replied she, "'I can give you no other account than I have done already. "'Here are my husband's clothes, which he put off last night. "'Perhaps you might find something among them that may solve your doubt.' "'She then shewed him Buddir ad Deen's turban, "'which he examined narrowly on all sides, saying, "'I should take this to be a vizier's turban,' if it were not made after the Basora fashion. 
but perceiving something to be sewn between the stuff and the lining, he called for scissors, and having unripped it, found the paper which Nur ad-Din Ali had given to his son upon his deathbed, and which Budir ad-Din Hassan had sewn into his turban for security. Shumsa ad-Din, having opened the paper, knew his brother's hand, and found this superscription, For my son, Budir ad-Din Hassan. Before he could make any reflections upon it, his daughter delivered him the bag that lay under the garments, which he likewise opened, and found it full of sequins, for, notwithstanding all the liberality of Budir ad-Din, it was still kept full by the genie and the peri. He read the following words upon a note in the bag, A thousand sequins belonging to Isaac the Jew. And these lines underneath, which the Jew had written, Delivered to my lord Budir ad-Din Hassan, for the cargo of the first of those ships that formerly belonged to the noble vizier, his father, of blessed memory, sold to me upon its arrival in this place. He had scarcely read these words when he groaned heavily and fainted away. The vizier, Shums ad-Din, being recovered from his fit by the aid of his daughter, and the women she called to her assistance, Daughter, said he, do not alarm yourself at this accident, occasioned by what is scarcely credible. Your bridegroom is your cousin, the son of my beloved and deceased brother. The thousand sequins in the bag reminds me of a quarrel I had with him, and is without the dowry he gives you. God be praised for all things, and particularly for this miraculous adventure, which demonstrates his almighty power. Then, looking again upon his brother's writing, he kissed it several times, shedding abundance of tears. He looked over the book from beginning to end. In it, he found the date of his brother's arrival at Basora, of his marriage, and of the date of birth of his son, and when he compared them with the day of his own marriage, and the birth of his daughter at Cairo, he wondered at the exact coincidence which appeared in every circumstance. The happy discovery put him into such a transport of joy that he took the book with the ticket of the bag, and shewed them to the sultan, who pardoned what was past, and was so much pleased with the relation of this adventure, that he caused it with all its circumstances to be put in writing for the information of posterity. Meanwhile the vizier. Shumsa ad-Din could not comprehend the reason why his nephew did not appear. He expected him every moment, and was impatient to receive him to his arms. After he had waited seven days in vain, he searched through all Cairo, but could procure no intelligence of him, which threw him into great perplexity. This is the strangest occurrence, said he, that ever happened. In order to certify it, he thought fit to draw up in writing, with his own hands, an account of the manner in which the bedchamber was furnished, with the other circumstances. He likewise made the turban, the bag, and the rest of Budir ad-Din's raiment into a bundle and locked them up. After some days were passed, the vizier's daughter perceived herself pregnant, and after nine months was brought to bed of a son. A nurse was provided for the child, besides other women and slaves to wait upon him, and his grandfather called him Agib. When young Agib had attained the age of seven, the vizier, instead of teaching him to read at home, put him to school with a master who was in great esteem, and two slaves were ordered to wait upon him. Agib used to play with his schoolfellows, and as they were all inferior to him in rank, they shewed him great respect, 
according to the example of their master, who many times would pass by faults in him that he would correct in his other pupils. This indulgence spoiled Agib. He became proud and insolent, and would have his playfellows bear all from him, and would submit to nothing from them but be master everywhere, and if any took the liberty to thwart him, he would call them a thousand names, and many times beat them. In short, all the scholars grew weary of his insolence, and complained of him to their master. He answered, that they must have patience. But when he saw that Agib grew still more and more overbearing, and occasioned him much trouble, children, said he to his scholars, I find Agib is a little insolent gentleman. I will shew you how to mortify him, so that he shall never torment you any more. Nay, I believe it will make him leave the school. When he comes again to-morrow, place yourselves round him, and let one of you call out, Come, let us play, but upon condition, that every one who desires to play shall tell his own name, and the names of his father and mother. They who refuse shall be esteemed bastards, and not be suffered to play in our company. Next day, when they were gathered together, they failed not to follow their master's instruction. They placed themselves round Agib, and one of them called out, let us begin a play, but on condition that he who cannot tell his own name and that of his father and mother shall not play at all. They all cried out, and so did Agib. We consent. Then he that spoke first asked every one the question, and all fulfilled the condition except Agib, who answered, My name is Agib, my mother is called the Lady of Beauty, and my father Shumsil ad-Din Mahmud, vizier to the sultan. At these words, all the children cried out, Agib, what do you say? That is not the name of your father, but your grandfather. A curse on you, said he in a passion. What? Dare you say that the vizier is not my father? No, no, cried they with great laughter. He is your grandfather, and you shall not play with us. Nay, we will take care how we come into your company. Having spoken thus, they all left him, scoffing him, and laughing among themselves, which mortified Agib so much that he wept. The schoolmaster who was near, and heard all that passed, came up, and speaking to Agib, said, Agib, do not you know that the vizier is not your father, but your grandfather, and the father of your mother, the lady of beauty? We know not the name of your father any more than you do. We only know that the sultan was going to marry your mother to one of his grooms, a humpback fellow, but a genie lay with her. This is hard upon you, but ought to teach you to treat your schoolfellows with less haughtiness. Agib, being nettled at this, ran hastily out of the school. He went directly sobbing to his mother's chamber, who, being alarmed to see him thus grieved, asked the reason. He could not answer for tears, so great was his mortification, and it was long ere he could speak plain enough to repeat what had been said to him, and had occasioned his sorrow. When he came to himself, Mother, said he, for the love of God, be pleased to tell me who is my father. My son, she replied, Shumsa ad-Din Mahmud, who every day caresses you kindly, is your father. You do not tell me truth, returned Agib. He is your father, and none of mine. But whose son am I? At this question, 
the lady of beauty calling to mind her wedding night which had been succeeded by a long widowhood began to shed tears repining bitterly at the loss of so handsome a husband as buddir ad deen whilst the lady of beauty and agib were both weeping the vizier entered who demanded the reason of their sorrow the lady told him the shame agib had undergone at school which so much affected the vizier that he joined his tears with theirs and judging from this that the misfortune which had happened to his daughter was the common discourse of the town he was mortified to the quick being thus afflicted he went to the sultan's palace and falling prostrate at his feet most humbly entreated permission to make a journey in search of his nephew buddir ad-din hassan for he could not bear any longer that the people of the city should believe a genie had disgraced his daughter the sultan was much concerned at the vizier's affliction approved his resolution and gave him leave to travel he caused a passport also to be written for him requesting in the strongest terms all kings and princes in whose dominions buddir ad-din might sojourn to grant that the vizier might conduct him to cairo shumsa ad-din not knowing how to express his gratitude to the sultan fell down before him a second time while the floods of tears he shed bore sufficient testimony to his feelings at last having wished the sultan all manner of prosperity he took his leave and returned to his house where he disposed everything for his journey and the preparations were carried on with so much diligence that in four days after he left the city accompanied with his daughter the lady of beauty and his grandson agib they travelled nineteen days without intermission but on the twentieth arriving at a pleasant mead a small distance from the gate of damascus they halted and pitched their tents upon the banks of a river which fertilizes the vicinity and runs through the town one of the pleasantest in syria once the capital of the caliphs and celebrated for its elegant buildings the politeness of its inhabitants and the abundance of its conveniences the vizier declared he would stay in that pleasant place two days and pursue his journey on the third in the meantime he gave his retinue leave to go to damascus and almost all of them made use of it some of them influenced by curiosity to see a city they had heard so much of and others by the opportunity of vending the egyptian goods they had brought with them or buying stuffs and the rarities of the country the beautiful lady desiring her son agib might share in the satisfaction of viewing that celebrated city ordered the black eunuch who acted in quality of his governor to conduct him thither agib in magnificent apparel went with the eunuch who had a large cane in his hand they had no sooner entered the city than agib fair and glorious as the day attracted the eyes of the people some got out of their houses to gain a nearer and narrower view of him others put their heads out of the windows and those who passed along the street were not satisfied in stopping to look upon him but kept pace with him to prolong the pleasure of the agreeable sight in fine there was not a person that did not admire him and bestow a thousand benedictions on the father and mother that had given being to so fine a child by chance the eunuch and he passed by the shop of buddir ad-din hassan and there the crowd was so great that they were forced to halt the pastry-cook who had adopted buddir ad-din hassan had died some years before and left him his shop and all his property and he conducted the pastry trade so dexterously that he had gained great reputation in damascus buddir ad-din seeing so great a crowd before his door 
who were gazing so attentively upon a gib and the black eunuch, stepped out to see them himself. Having cast his eyes upon a gib, Budir ad-Din found himself moved, he knew not how, nor for what reason. He was not struck like the people with the brilliant beauty of the boy. Another cause unknown to him gave rise to the uneasiness and emotion he felt. It was the force of blood that wrought in this tender father, who, laying aside his business, made up to Agib, and with an engaging air, said to him, My little lord, who hast won my soul, be so kind as to come into my shop, and eat a bit of such fare as I have, that I may have the pleasure of admiring you at my ease. These words he pronounced with such tenderness, that tears trickled from his eyes. Little Agib was moved when he saw his emotion, and turning to the eunuch, said, This honest man speaks in such an affectionate manner, that I cannot avoid complying with his request. Let us step into his house, and taste his pastry. It would be a fine thing, truly, replied the slave, to see the son of a vizier go into a pastry-cook's shop to eat. Do not imagine that I will suffer any such thing. Alas, my lord, cried Badir ad-Din, it is cruelty to trust the conduct of you in the hands of a person who treats you so harshly. Then, applying himself to the eunuch, My good friend, continued he, pray do not hinder this young lord from granting me the favour I ask. Do not put such mortification upon me. Rather, do me the honour to walk in along with him, and by so doing, you will let the world know that though the outside is brown like a chestnut, your inside is as white. Do you know? continued he, that I am master of the secret to make you white, instead of being black as you are. This set the eunuch a-laughing, and then he asked what the secret was. I will tell you, replied Budir ad-Din, who repeated some verses in praise of black eunuchs, implying that it was by their ministry that the honour of princes and all great men was secured. The eunuch was so charmed with these verses, that, without further hesitation, he suffered Agib to go into the shop, and went in with him himself. Budir ad-Din Hussan was so overjoyed at having obtained what he had so passionately desired, and, falling again to the work he had discontinued, I was making, said he, cream tarts, and you must, with submission, eat of them. I am persuaded you will find them good, for my own mother, who made them incomparably well, taught me and the people send to buy them of me from all quarters of town. This said, he took a cream tart out of the oven, and after strewing upon it some pomegranate kernels and sugar, set it before Agib, who found it very delicious. Another was served up to the eunuch, and he gave the same judgment. End of section 30